0: Good morning. morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring you one. The book of Jonah, chapter 2. As we talked about last week, a lot of times when we think of the book of Jonah, it's kind of in a Pinocchio cartoon style. It's kind of a a kid's tale that we've heard at Sunday school, but it it was never intended to be that kind of book, and we want to really redeem it from that mindset. It's a, a powerful book, and it was something that Jesus himself quoted and gave credence to. It is something that the Hebrew people took to heart and gave it validity. It wasn't thought of as just a fable. We know that Jonah was a prophet. He is mentioned in Second Kings under the, the kingdom of Jeroboam in the northern kingdom when Israel was divided into the north and the south. And he was a, a man of credibility. And we saw last week that Jonah made a decision not obey what God had asked him to do. God told him, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian people, enemies of Israel. And Jonah, for whatever reason, didn't want to go. And so he set sail in the opposite direction for Tarsus, which is the southern tip of Spain, and it's a port city. He's probably going to go from Tarsus to somewhere else. You know, go experience the world. He had plans. You know, God wants me to do this. You know what? I need a break. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to go see the world, live an adventure, but I am not going to Nineveh. And we saw last week that there was this storm and there was this battling out with the sailors that are there, trying to figure out what was going on. Who was responsible for this? And and the irony was that these sailors who worshipped all these different gods ended up being the ones who actually worshipped the living God, Yahweh, and Jonah was the one who was silent, the one who was sleeping, the one who was quiet while they were questioning and wondering and trying to find out the answer. And we remember that they didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. They did everything they could to get him to shore. But we saw that the storm built up. And what we see in the first chapter is that there is more than just a storm taking place. There is more than just a journey trying to get to Tarshish. There is the hand of God at work in all of the situations that God was weaving this tapestry to accomplish what he desired, not only for the people of Nineveh, but for those sailors who were on the boat, as each one of them came to understand and believe in Yahweh, and also, as we're going to see, in the life of Jonah as well. Let's read chapter 2 together. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought me life up from the pit. O Lord, my God. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols... Forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited, Jonah, onto dry land. You know you're in a bad spot when a happy ending is being vomited by a fish onto dry land. When, when that's the highlight of your day, you, you've had a bad day or a bad few days. And, and it's amazing how perspective changes our direction. How we think motivates us to what we will do. We just saw the movie Inception the other day. Man, that was a wild thing. Uh, and the whole idea, I won't, can't give it away, it's two and a half hours long of just this Puzzled to find, try and figure out, but the thought was, you know, what a person thinks is what the person is going to do. And if you can put that thought, an inception, into someone's thought of what they're going to do, then it will change their focus, but we're the ones who decide that. And the situation, no matter what the situation is, how you think will determine the outcome. For example, say you're dating and, and you go a restaurant and you're waiting for your girlfriend, boyfriend, and, and 45 minutes after 7 o'clock go by and, and there's, they don't show up, you have to think something. And, and so you think, he stood me up. And you get mad. Or you think, she doesn't like me anymore. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to be with me. And then you get sad. Or maybe you think, he got in an accident and he's injured somewhere. And now your thoughts are worry. You're anxious. Or maybe you think, you know, she's probably working overtime just so she could afford to pay for the dinner and take me to the movie afterwards. (laughs) And now your thoughts are are grateful. They're naive, but they're grateful. (laughs) Or you think he's going out with that girl at the office and you're jealous. Or maybe you've been waiting to get out of this relationship and now's your chance and now you're grateful. You see, it's the same scenario, but what you think determines your emotion and the motive from what you're going to drive to and drive at. Jonah is set on going to Tarshish. He's set on taking an R&R, getting out of this prophet thing. I'm out of here. I don't want to go to my enemy. I don't want to, to go and... Tell them what God has to say. I'm going the other way. And whatever's on his mind and how he's thinking, it pushes him in that direction. And God does not change his mind, but God does change his circumstances. And you see, after the waves beat on the boat so it's breaking apart so that they're afraid they're going to die, they finally realize that it's Jonah. And Jonah says, cast me overboard. That's the only way it's going to stop. And so they say, God, forgive us, but, you know, we've got no choice. And so they throw him overboard and he gets swallowed by a great fish. And now Jonah prays. I recommend that you start before something like that happens. It's good to start praying before you get swallowed by the fish. It's good to start praying before you find yourself in this situation. But you see, now the situation has changed and now Jonah has to rethink the situation. He has to kind of ask himself, what am I doing? And in the, the belly of this fish, it says, in distress I call to the Lord. It just proves that you can pray anywhere. It doesn't take a cathedral. It doesn't take a place of worship. It doesn't take a mountaintop. You can pray anywhere. And it's interesting because it says, in distress. It seems that that's many times where prayer comes from. It comes from times of distress. You know, a lot of times prayer can be a duty. You know, I should pray more. I don't pray enough. I'll slip one in before dinner, you know, so at least I got one for the day. And it's like the score that you keep, you know, I didn't pray enough. I should pray a little bit more. Oh, man, I feel guilty. You know, I didn't pray with my wife again. I I was supposed to do that, and I forgot. And so you have this scorecard, and don't smile back there. uh, And you realize, well, yeah, I didn't pray. I should pray. But when you come to distress, all of a sudden, prayer becomes central it becomes automatic, it becomes preeminent, it becomes important to you. All of a sudden, it becomes a part of who you are. Now, your thoughts and your motives have changed. I'm in distress, I'm in this cramped, confined place, this difficult, dark place, and I am seeking God. On the way to Tarshish, thinking I was going to take it easy, see the world. I was okay. I was fine. But now in distress, prayer becomes a necessity. It becomes automatic. It becomes like our native tongue. And our circumstances might change to a place of distress. It might be health. It might be financial it could be some crisis in our life that that takes place it might be a relationship something that goes on and and what we want is god on our side you see what we really want is god to give us a first class ticket to tarshish and a. uh A room with a view on the beach. We want God to get on our side. We want him to to give us what we wanted. When we pray and our thoughts are, God, you should help me in my life. We want God to give us everything we want, to make sure everything that we go through is the way we want it to be, to make sure our life is comfortable, secure, free from worry or stress. And you probably bought that book in a Christian bookstore somewhere. I mean, it's the the way to get God to do what you want to do. Jabez. You know, it's that kind of, you know, get God on your side. God wants you to, to have these things and be in this frame of mind. And, and you know, we that's the way we want things to go. But what do you do when the crisis comes? Well, that's when the prayer becomes genuine. That's when the heart becomes aware of your surroundings, not just the discomfort of the crisis, but aware of your surroundings with God, aware, aware of how things really are. I've done a number of funerals. And at funerals, there is a sobriety of thought that is so thick. It is so evident. It weighs heavy on the minds. And depending on who passed and the circumstances, people are seeing and thinking different than they Ever do reality is so clear the things that are important you are so aware of our frailty our humanity is so apparent and we feel so vulnerable and you see that's the way it really is but it took the crisis it took loss, to open our eyes to see. And you see, it's a severe mercy that allows us to go through the crisis, that allows us to recognize how things really are. God wants us in a place where we're receptive to his love, where we're aware of of his severe mercy and sometimes we don't like it he seems too sovereign he, he seems like he's got his own plan and there's nothing we can do he doesn't care about us he's not concerned about us he's just moving life along and we we just holding on it's like we're being towed by a boat on a water ski and there's nothing we can do but hang on for dear life and hope this ride plays out in our favor But you see, the crisis is there to show his love so that we would cry out to him. We read in Hebrews this last Thursday, chapter 12, verse 7, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Now, I had this discussion with my wife afterwards. Our idea of discipline is is not a good one when you think of discipline i don't know where your mind goes it might go to spanking your kid or being spanked by your parent or it might be you know getting reprimanded by someone over you a a manager or whatever at work but the idea of discipline think of it as someone who is working out someone who is exercising a basketball player football player a, a football player soccer um someone who disciplines their body their routine their exercise their diet so that they can further their game their goal think of a musician who disciplines themselves practicing scales over and over again with their voice they discipline so that they can be better And, and this is such a powerful thing to understand that if we would endure hardship and see it as discipline, God is making me better. He is trying to open my eyes. He is trying to get real with me. And it's in this dark stinky place that a prayer of thanksgiving and a song of thanksgiving comes out I read this poem it's in a a book called Gorillas of Grace by Ted Lauder and he writes how shall I pray are tears prayers Lord are screams prayers or groans, or sighs, or curses? Can trembling hands be lifted to you, or clenched fists, or the cold sweat that trickles down my back, or the cramps that knot my stomach? Will you accept my prayers, Lord, my real prayers, Rooted in the muck and mud and rock of my life. Not just the pretty, cut flower, gracefully arranged bouquet of words. Will you accept me, Lord, as I really am? Messed up mixture of glory and grime. And you see, what God wants is you. What God wants is the real prayer. What God wants is not a superficial obligation or duty. What God wants is us to be legit to him how many times do we see prophets saying i'm not gonna talk about you anymore i'm done i'm out of here just like jonah and the prophet says my heart burned within me if i i tried to hold back your words i couldn't do it You see, he wasn't like, okay, yes, of course, God. Yeah, no problem. I always obey. I always understand. He felt emotion. He said, what's going on? I don't get it. Jonah says, I'm out of here. I don't want to go there. And then the crisis, this beautiful prayer and song of thanksgiving comes out. Now, it's a curious thing that he would share these things in this place, that he would talk of this... Personal relationship with God in this place because usually it's in this place that we start accusing God. Why me, God? What's going on? This wasn't supposed to happen to me. I gave my life to you. Is this what you're going to do with it? But you see, it's in this place that Jonah finally says, ah, Okay. Verse 3, he says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. This wasn't an accident. I didn't just fall in. It wasn't the sailors doing that threw me in. God, you are the one responsible for where I am in this place in my life. Now, we reap what we sow. The things that we do, we have to deal with those consequences. Just like Jonah wanting to go to Tarshish. You know, he could have bypassed this whole thing if he would have just went to Nineveh. You guys know the story. He's going to be there anyway. God didn't change his mind for him. He just gave him reason to change his mind. See, he could have made the decision, made it a lot easier on himself, but he made the decision to go to Tarshish. We we reap what we sow. We make decisions that affect us. You eat that stuff, you're going to get fat. You go out with that guy, you're going to get hurt. You involve yourself with that, it's going to affect you. We, we make decisions and we will reap what we sow, but if we have surrendered our lives, God still has his hand upon us, even when others do us wrong. Remember what Joseph said when his brothers came to him in Egypt, the brothers who sold him into slavery, who told his father that he was dead, lied, and, and left him for dead. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God's hand was on me, and it was working. And, and so Jonah recognizes that he was hurled into the deep. And it's interesting, at the end of verse 3, it says, all your waves and breakers swept over me. That's actually taken from the psalm, Psalm 42.7. So he's plagiarizing here. This is, this is Jonah via David. But you know, it's because he knew the song that it was able to come up and out of him. Because he knew those words, he knew that song, he knew those truths. Now he found himself, oh man, that really rings true in my life. And and maybe you're in that place right now where you understand, even just through the difficulty that Jonah's going through, or maybe it's in James when it says, count it all joy when you fall into different trials, knowing that the testing of your faith brings forth perseverance. And you say, man, I've experienced that. I had four kids. You know, I, I, I know what it means to persevere. I know what it means to go through and to have to be patient. And I know what it does. And it brings a character in my life that I didn't have before I had kids. And now the scriptures ring true in our own experience. And we say, oh, I remember. I remember what the scripture said. Yes, that's true for me here. And Jonah is in the belly of this beast and he says your waves crash over me the breaker swept over me just like the psalmist said and then verse four he says i said i have banished been banished from your sight yet i will look again i have been banished from your sight but i will look again you know he, he recognizes that there is something worse than his current situation now I don't know what your situation is right now, but I will put all the money I have that Jonah's was worse. Okay? He's in a fish. Been there for three days. Going down. Can you imagine the pressure? Ah, here's the whales going down. Ah, The stink. The acids eating up his skin. What did he eat? Don't think about it. He was in a bad situation, but there was something worse. There was something that was worse than being where he was. The thought of God not being there at all. The thought of being banished, separated from God. What if Jonah got what he wanted? What if he ran away from God and God no longer was a part of his life? What if he made it to Tarshish and God said, okay, go your way, I'll have nothing to do with you anymore. And and Jonah lived his life separated from God. You need to understand, the universe doesn't care. The universe doesn't care about Haiti and the people that are devastated there. Nature doesn't care. Nature doesn't have a heart, doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't care if you're doing well or not. It's harsh and it's cold. And to live a life without God is worse than where he was at. And he recognized the desperation of where he was at The injustice that is there in God's dealing with people is actually a good thing when God wants to bring something about, even though it causes pain. It is better to be in this situation struggling where God can at least speak to me than to be away from God and not hear his voice at all. Because if that is the case, then I'm separated from him And the universe doesn't care about me, doesn't care about you. Only God does. Only God does. You see, God is passionate. He's jealous. I mean, he's scary, reckless how it seems to us. I mean, we don't understand his ways. They are past our finding out. And, And it's difficult at times and it's hard at times, but it is motivated by this severe mercy that wants what is best For us. And just as God is wanting to get Jonah to help the Ninevites and wanting to help the sailors, he is also wanting to help Jonah. And it takes him this place, this condition, to be able to. He recognizes that being banished from God is not good. And so he looks again. Toward the Holy Temple. In verse 5 and 6, he says, The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. It's so visual. The the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. He's showing the desperation. He is in a place where he can do nothing. He has no strength, no power to change his circumstances. He's powerless. No one can help him except God. And believe it or not, that's a good place. If you're in a place where you just can't fix it, well, what's impossible for you is possible for God. If you're in a place where there's no way out, there's nothing you can do but cry out to God, believe it or not, that's a good place. That's the place where most of what is written in the Psalms takes place in. That's where David gave his best songs. Jesus, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. You see, it's that place that produces something within us, something of necessity, something that can last. And God wants to bring us to a place of dependency. He wants to bring us to a place where we say, I've got nowhere else but you. Now, perspective is important here. And how you see and understand and know God affects everything. Because if you think, well, that's mean, God's going to bring me to a place to make me do something, I don't want to serve a God like that. That's not fair. Well, you have to understand what you're asking, what you're thinking. What what is the alternative? To be banished? to not think of Him at all, to not have Him involved with your life in any serious way, to, to just play this little uh, religion game where God is convenient for me to, to kind of ease my conscience. I, I can, you know, do what I want, but I, I can go to God and get things okay and just live a double standard kind of a life and not have a real relationship. You see, I think there is a reason... That the scriptures talk so much about relationships, of God being our heavenly father, of God even taking the role of a mother hen, gathering her chicks under her wings, Jesus being our brother. This idea of relational understanding is important because we get it. We understand. And and I understand the importance of the relationship with my wife and that if I, I don't take her seriously, or if I take her for granted, that our relationship is going to be injured. It's going to be hurt and it can be lost. If I take it for granted, if I think little of it. It it takes effort. It it takes me being open. It takes me talking to her. It takes me telling her the things that are going on in my life. And, And us guys aren't always good at those things. And every now and then she has to remind me. And I don't think, why are you reminding me? That's so mean. Just leave me alone. Let me play my video games. Really? Is that what you want? You want to be left alone? No. You see, it's the same thing with God. We think, oh, God, why are you making me do this? I can't let you keep on going the way you're going. It is not good for you. And if our perspective is that God deals with us as sons, that we can endure hardship as discipline, then we see a different perspective. And instead of God being mean, God is actually loving. God is actually caring and actually reaching out for us. At the end of verse 6, he says, but you brought my life up from the pit. You see, what I could not do, you could do. He, he comes to this place of personal and constant relationship. And, and you see, we live in a constant state of dependency. We, we never become independent of God, <laughs> kind of like our kids. We, we, we never stop needing him. He's always a necessity for our lives. He's the only one who can deliver us today as well as tomorrow, as well as the day after. I need to stay genuine. I need to stay open. I need to stay in communication with you. And I love it because he says, oh, Lord, my God. You see, in chapter one, he would not call upon him as my God. He was running away from him But now in the depths of this crisis, you're my God. And not only did you bring me to this place, but you are bringing me out. You are my God. It's personal now. It's a personal relationship. It closed the distance between him and God. And is there a distance that needs to be closed between you and God? Are you distant? Do you feel like he's far away? Are are your circumstances such where, man, I'm going through this hardship, I just don't see God here? Well, you see, that was the place that Jonah did see God. And remember your perspective. If you're thinking, well, I'm going through these things, things are hard, God must be far from me, God must not care. I think your perspective is skewed when really God is saying, no, you don't understand, I am all around you, I have orchestrated these events so that you would cry out from a genuine heart to me, that you would be real. Raise your fist at me, yell at me, talk to me, tell me what's going on, I can take it, let me be a part of your life. Be real. We think God can't be real. Jonah was running away. God brought him to a place, and now he's closed the distance. And in verse 7 it says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Repentance is an ongoing way of life. It's continual. It's not something I did way back once when I said a prayer and received Christ in my life. Repentance is a necessity for this relationship, just like it is in my marriage. She's always having to repent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we are in constant need of rejuvenation in our relationship. I constantly have to tell her I'm sorry. Why? Because I want us to be right. And I'm constantly doing stupid things. I'm constantly being insensitive, being selfish. And I'm constantly having to say I'm sorry. And even more so in my relationship with God. God, I'm so unaware of you so many times. I'm so headed for Tarshish so many times. Unaware of what your plans are for me. Unconcerned. Just wanting to do what I want to do for my comfort. I just want what I want, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he remembered the Lord and his prayers rose to him. Went back to God. And then I love verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Worthless. Recognizes that life without God is worthless. What would he have gained if he went to Tarshish? Come back with a t-shirt and a mug. I've been to Tarshish. What, what would you gain by running away? It's worthless. You, you gain nothing when you run away. Think of Jesus' words. What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? How, how do we involve our, thing, our lives with things that are worthless, have no value? And we don't recognize that God does have a life of value. And worthless idols, things that cannot help us, if we live our life in a way that is worthless and meaningless in its purpose, then it says we forfeit the grace that could be ours we forfeit the grace. We give it up. It means it's there. You, you can have it, but you say, no, I give it up. I'm going to live for what's worthless. And so God's grace that is deep and beautiful beyond our ability to understand, we give it up. We forfeit it. And, and what a tragedy that would be And finally, he comes out in verse 9. He says, But with the song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. We see that worship here is a response. It's not a duty. It's not a list of things that we have to do. And this is something that we need to recognize because we so make it a duty. We so want to put a list together of what we need to do. You see... It's great to read your Bible because you want to hear from God, but not because you have to do it. Oh, well, what time is it? Oh, I've got to read my Bible. What good is that? It's, not, it, it's like if you had a three-year-old, a four-year-old kid, and they got up in the morning, and they say, Oh, I've got to be good today. Okay, I'm not going to spill my milk. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pick my nose. I know that freaks moms out. I'm not going to pull on the cat's tail. I'm going to be good today. I'm not going to throw blocks. I'm not going to do anything. And sure enough, you know, it's not two hours into the day and and something's going on. Knocks over the Cheerios, you know, and they're on the floor. Mama goes, ah! And he goes, oh man, I blew it. Oh man, I blew it. Oh man, I blew it again. (laughs) You know. And then the night comes, and you go into your child's room, and it's like, oh God, you know, I'm sorry that I spilt my Cheerios. Oh man, and I picked my nose five times today. Help me not to pick my nose. And you walk in, and what would you do if you saw your four-year-old talking like that? You think, what's going? It'd be weird, you know. It, You don't have that relationship. You're four years old. You're supposed to be in this moment. You're supposed to be enjoying the relationship, not listing up what you have to do to please your dad, to please your mom. Oh, if I don't spill cereal, then mom will be happy. Then then I'll have good favor with them. No, she loves you just because you're her kid. You don't have to do anything. All they want is you. And there's nothing more heartwarming than when your kid comes and just hugs you because they want to. I could live in that moment. I could live there. Because it's a response. Worship is a response. God, I love you. Not because I have to. Not because I'm doing this list of things. Just because I love you. And Jonah in the crisis comes to the point where he produces worship. What are we producing in the crisis of our life? Because our perception will either see God as against us or see him as our Father trying to work in us, trying to accomplish something. And what he desires has to be given freely by us and that's worship it, it's not a duty we, we think we're going to please God by doing all these things Well, I'm going to go serve over here I'm going to go to Mexico I'm going to be a missionary I'm going to read my Bible I'm going to pray I'm on my knees and we think that we're going to catch God's attention he's going to go oh look at you you busy little bee how good that is <laughs> very good pat us on the head And it's all about him desiring the genuine worship that comes from our lives. The relationship is established. What we need to do, respond. If you want to read, you do it because you want to hear from God. And you see, salvation comes from the Lord. And, And... you know, it ends, finally, the Lord commands the fish and it ralphs Jonah up onto the land, you know, and that's where he was supposed to be originally. But now there's a change. From a man who wanted nothing to do with what God wanted, came a person who worshiped God. Now, I, I feel so inadequate in bringing this to a close and trying to make this point clear. You are going to go through hardship. You are going to go through suffering. Some of you, the suffering is, is beyond my ability to, to empathize. It's beyond what I've ever experienced. But where you see your God is going to determine Where you go Because if Your God Is Mean Sovereign doesn't care Then you're going to want to run away And Tarshish will look very good to you But if you understand that we see through a glass darkly. We don't have full understanding, but we have scriptural promises that he loves us, cares for us, and has got our best interest in mind. And you see a loving father trying to work and discipline your life for your good, for your benefit, then it will produce a worship is richer than it could ever be I can't make you change your mind God won't make you change your mind but he will do everything he can to get you to look up cry out and be real and worship him not because he needs your worship because he wants that relationship. Because he wants your arms around his neck. Because he wants his arms around yours. And you ever try and hold a child that's squirming? Especially to do that back thing. You know where they arch their back thing? <laughs> they go like flying out of your arms. I'm trying to hold this child and you're like squirming. It's no fun. But if you'll embrace him, understand that he's already embracing you. We love him because he first loved us. Jonah wasn't being punished. Jonah was being wooed by God. And God will not let you go. He'll take you to the depths of the sea. If it'll cause you to open your heart to the truth of his love, and the necessity of his life as opposed to those things that are worthless. Let's pray. God, so many times I do feel like that child that's just arching my back to get out of your hands, trying to do what I want, resisting what I know you're you're desiring. And that's a, a deeper relationship with you, God, you're not asking me to read my Bible more, to pray more, to go to church more. You're asking me to be open, honest, legitimate to you. You're asking me to to respond to what you've already done. You're asking us to worship because that's the result of receiving what you've given. It's our natural response, God. And Lord, just as... Jonah had a, a change of perception in the depth of this dark and tight and constraining place. Father, I pray that we will have the change of perception, that even though our circumstances are, are cramped and just, they stink and they're uncomfortable, that our voice would cry out to you, that we would engage this relationship with you. Lord, that we would see that even in the hardship, there is a loving hand working. And God, I don't understand. I I would never have put this plan together for Jonah to get him to Nineveh. It's beyond my ability. And Lord, only you. Have all the information. Know what's best. Only you, God, know what the future holds for us. Only you know what we need right now. And God, let us not go after worthless things and lose sight of what really matters. And Lord, I pray that we would engage you in this dialogue, in this relationship, that we would speak to you from the depths of our heart, that we would cry out to you, that we would offer you songs. Offer you words, devotions. Even if they're not entirely ours, we can pull them from David's. Heck, Jonah did. But Lord, may we give you something that comes from us. May we wrap our arms around you May we embrace you and hold on, Lord. Through the difficulties, through the hardship, may we hold on. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.